if you're joining us today. Hello, Karen. Hello, my sister. Talk about a warm greeting. Um, <clears throat> oh, I need to turn it around a bit. It's a bit wobbly, you know. I don't know if it's going to stay there. But wobbly, the mic, not. Deji's telling me to turn the mic, so. Okay. Welcome to the next installment in our series in the book of Luke. We've titled the, the whole series as we normally do um, whenever we teach for a book of the Bible. Hey, Sandra, you made it down, sis. Well done. Um, we've titled this book, Humanity's Only Hope. Humanity's Only Hope. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And the title for our message today is <clears throat> An Unexpected Guest. An Unexpected Guest. I wrestled over a few different titles. I've landed on this one. Um, maybe the other potential titles will come through as points um, and subpoints. Now, whenever I get the opportunity to preach in a church outside of ours, if I'm, always, if I'm given the opportunity to decide on the text, I will more often than not always choose to talk about Jesus. Um, because in our, in our culture, he's often very misunderstood and badly misrepresented. So I always take an opportunity to, to preach about Jesus. Today, I have opportunity to do that even though I'm here at home at Ecclesia. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, I was at a church in Hackney called THCC and... There I was in Luke chapter 5 and it's just quite encouraging today that we find ourselves just in a couple of chapters later or I find myself at least because you weren't there with me in Luke 5 but you were here with us in Luke 5 when we did that um, and after hearing Pastor Richard last week um, cover the beginning of chapter 7 today I hope to complete the chapter and an intro chapter 8. Um, now one of the repeated themes of this book is the constant question about Jesus's true identity. Questions about Jesus's true identity. Recently, we heard Jesus challenged even by the devil himself, remember? And he said, if you are the son of God. We, we, we've heard demons openly refer to Jesus by saying, we know who you are. You're the son of God. Earlier in this chapter, John the Baptist, in a moment of weakness, asked about Jesus, saying, are you the one, or should we look for another? Can you hear Jesus' identity being questioned or challenged, if you like? Today in our text, we're going to hear Jesus' identity being questioned again. We're going to hear individuals say, who can this be? And on another occasion, we're going to hear it said, who is this that declares he has the ability to forgive sins? Today, we're going to get another glaring glimpse of Jesus' true identity in terms of his deity. That means he's God. And like Clark Kent, Jesus is going to bust open his chest with the S on his chest. Jesus, he's the, he's the only hope for humanity. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 7, from verse 36 to the end of the chapter, into chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. 
So verse 36 of Luke 7 says, one of the Pharisees, and I'm reading from the ESV, one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her hair. He began to, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, wait, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered, the one I supposed for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed by evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Um, let's just pray briefly before we jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is spirit and it is life. Thank you, Lord. Your word was written for them back then in the past, but also for us. To them, but also for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help this text to come alive today. Even in ways in which, Lord, so alive it would be as if we were right there at the scene 2,000 years ago. I pray these things, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to get a, a true, not just a glimpse, Lord, a, a, a real 
wonderful picture of who Jesus really is with regards to his true identity. In Jesus' name, in his name we pray. Amen. 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 This account of Jesus is not to be confused with another incident at a place called Bethany, where Jesus is anointed by Mary, and that in preparation of his death and his burial. That's not this. This account is unique to Luke and is not found anywhere else in the other Gospels in Matthew, in Mark, or in John. Verse 36 of our text says, One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And Jesus, as he does on occasion, says, Cool, I'll come around your yard and eat some food. And obviously Jesus is going to take opportunity to share much more than food, right? And it says he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, if you're familiar with, with, with um, the first century, particularly near Eastern culture, um, they had a protocol. And the protocol um, has kind of three important elements. The first thing is when you come into a man's house, a man first of all would greet you with a kiss. And not just a kiss, multiple kisses, normally on the cheek, two or three times, depending on the particular culture. And um, it's what later on in the New Testament is referred to as a holy kiss. You know what I mean? So men would kiss men. And this continues even to today. Um, I remember I was in Nigeria with Pastor Bertrand. And I see man walking down the street holding hands. You know what I mean? It's common in particular types of culture. I'll be saying Mikey P. And also in this culture, this holy kiss still continues today. I'm going to refer to it quite a few times. My brother lives in Tunisia. And I remember when I first went to visit him, um, he said, Rob, most of my friends are Muslims, but they don't necessarily practice Islam. <laughs> if anything, it's, it's actually the opposite. Um, but we ain't got time to get into that. Apart from for me to say... They greeted me with great warmth and intensity. I mean, man would grab me and say, if you're Richard's brother, you are my brother. And they kissed me on both sides of the cheek and two or three times. That was common in, that's common in Tunisian, in Arabic um, culture. It's now today, but it was also very common. In, that's one of the first things you would get when you come into a man's house. The second thing you'd get is you'd get oil poured on your head as a guest. And it was, um, I don't know if you remember, it, um, oil was often used at the coronation of a king. And if you're not aware of it, King Charles recently at his coronation was anointed with oil. Again, something else we can't get into. Um, but not only, was, <laughs> not only was the oil used um, at the coronation of a king, it was also used on a daily, regular basis when you come into somebody's house. And they take the oil and they would, they would put a little bit of the oil um, on your head. And it was a bit of a refresher. And it was, you know, like when you're on the plane and at the end of the flight, they give you these scented, these lemon scented, if you've ever flown, lemon scented towels. They're wet and you wipe your hands and you rub your face with them. And it makes you feel fresh and ready and alive because you might have just had a sleep on the plane and your, and your face and your hands smell a lemon. Well... This oil, if you like, as you came in the house, bearing in mind that you've been out pretty much, you know, in the hot sun and so on, not sure how you might, you know, be smelling, they'd put the, a little bit of this, this on your forehead and maybe some in your hair, make it smell nice, 
right? Make you feel at home. Not make, you, not make you feel uncomfortable if, you know, if that might be the case. It's depending on, you know, your body odor. Um, and, and, and here, after washing the face and the head, the scented oil was applied. And you might remember, I think I've got the verse here in Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 3, we have a reference to it where Ruth is getting ready to go and see Boaz. She's getting ready to go out. She's getting ready for a night out with, with Boaz. And verse 3 says, so bathe yourself, right, wash yourself, rub on some perfumed oil. You know what I'm saying? And get dressed up, you know. <laughs> and go down to the dance floor. I mean, go down to the freshening floor, right? <laughs> Can you see the purpose of the oil? Make it smell nice. And obviously, it's, it's a custom that continues to today. It's actually a big business today, isn't it? So the gesture of applying this fragrant oil was to make your guest feel refreshed and sweet-smelling. And actually, if, if you're um, that way inclined, like we do in children's church, here's a... What do they call it when you have a, an example of something? I forget. Show and tell. Show and tell. A what, Mike? Test the bottle. Test the bottle. That describes a bottle. I'm talking about what you do in children's ministry when you're trying to illustrate something. You have a... An example, it's not coming this morning. Demonstration, Demonstration. It's, a, it's a something, it's a picture. Anyway, if you want to see and even smell what some of this oil is, if, sometimes you might hug me. I often wear this stuff. I actually bought this in Tunisia. And so if you want to you wanna smell it, I don't know if any of the kids want to, any of the kids want to come and grab this and just smell it? Yeah, come and grab it. Come and grab it and then you can smell it and you can pass it around and everyone can get a sniff. Come Don't be nervous. There we go. There we go. I, said, I, said, I said last week, which one? I think it, we were singing um, In Christ Alone. Just turn around and face everybody. And, um, and I noticed everyone was singing, but was it Lily was singing with her whole heart? I mean, not that, not that um, her little sister, Sienna, wasn't singing, um, but... And she even closed her eyes while she was singing because she knew the words. And I said, if you, I said, you like singing, don't you? And she said, yeah. And I said, maybe one day she can sing for us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right. Not to embarrass you any further. Here, you take that. No, actually, you take that. And, and then you can share it with your sister. And then take the lid off. You've got to take the lid off. How's it smell? All right, share it with your sister and let her, let her smell it. You guys can go back to your seat. Thank you. Give them a round of applause for her. And then, and then once, you, once you've, you've, you've smelt it, pass it on. You can't keep it. I know it smells like <laughs> Everyone can get a smell. And um, so that's the two things. One, greeted with a, of a, a wonderful kiss, oil poured on the head. And then the third thing would be foot washing. You're in the house, right, so you're in close proximity to one another. And if the feet were not washed after a day in the dusty streets, imagine what a room full of people with unwashed feet would smell like. Now, everyone's focusing on the oil coming around and not listening, right? Um, anyway, um, I, mean, I, might, I mean, it might be a bit whiffy um, if everybody were to take their shoes off in here, let alone there, right? <laughs> and our feet are covered and protected from the elements and... Presumably, we showered this morning, and even it would have been much more important there because of this. Notice because of the seating arrangement at the end of verse 36. Did you notice it? 
It says at the end of verse 36, it says, and they reclined at table. Right? This describes the unusual Middle Eastern seating position or seating, lying position when eating. They didn't sit on chairs at, a waist, at, at waist high. They laid on the floor very often on the left elbow around the room. With, 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 with the food on a, a 12-inch high table called a triclinium. So Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper ain't really faithful. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that, that picture looks like, a, like, looks like, a, a, looks like a, a picture from out of an Ikea catalogue. It wasn't like that. They, they were posing and everything. They, they were lying down, and, and look at verse... <clears throat> the table didn't look like that. Look at verse 37, and behold, notice, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned... That he, that is Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now we need to make the point that this was a first century residence. Not unlike some of the currently, um, sorry, not unlike some of the currently um, remain in homes across the Middle East and North Africa, and again, Tunisia. So have you guys ever heard of a Medina? Sometimes they call it a souk. I, got, I think I've got a picture of a Medina. And a Medina is kind of like a covered, but also an outside um, shopping area. And the street, Harry knows, because Harry's bought leather goods from a Medina before, right? Where was it? Is it Marrakesh? In Morocco, Morocco. Um, I'm hoping that my picture is going to come up. I spent a bit of time trying to find it, but anyway, um, you go through these streets, and again, it's where I bought my um, my oil, and I hope it's coming back round. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. See that? All right. Let me. <laughs> Thank you. And the face, it's not even that expensive. It's like two pound fifty a bottle, um, but yeah, trips to Tunisia ain't two pound fifty. So um, this is a this is a Medina, as you can see, and it's. In little alleyways, you have these shops and nooks where they sell paintings, etchings, they sell leather goods, handmade items, they sell oil. And <clears throat> in these medinas, what you come across from time to time are houses built into the medina. Obviously, they've been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And you see this blue door here? This is actually a doorway into a house in the Medina. And this house, if you go to the next slide for me, please. This next slide will show you what happens when you go inside. This is what you see. So when you talk about going into a man's house in first century times, especially someone who has great cultural importance and is even um, at the status of a politician, a Pharisee, Right? You know that they're going to have a nice yard. And when you go in through those doors, this is what you enter into. And this is the type of space that describes our text today. So, <clears throat> therefore, it, it, it would be quite easy um, to look into a space like this if you're just passing by. Especially if there's a crowd and there's a commotion. You know what I mean? And you can enter into this space directly, as I just showed you, from the street, which is exactly what this woman in our text does 
as many others may also have done. As people regularly gather to hear Jesus speak, you may have heard. You remember in Luke 5, when they're in the house and they have to tear off the roof to get in. Why? Because the place was so ram. Now, this doesn't have a roof. It's actually an outside courtyard. And you go through this door and it takes you to the bedrooms. You go through that door, it takes you into the kitchen. And you go through this door and it takes you into a, a closed internal seating area. Can you see it? And, and this woman has bravely pushed through those in attendance. And I say bravely, look at what type of woman this is as you look at verse 37. And I understand that the switching between my slides and the text is not so easy and straightforward. So let's have grace on the guys who are trying to help me. Verse 37 says, And behold, a woman of the city, notice, how does it describe her if you've got your Bible opened? Mad interaction today. She was a woman of the city who was what? She was a sinner. Now, great contrast to the man whose house she's in, quote unquote. The majority of theologians and biblical scholars agree that this is a sanitized description of a prostitute. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Liz Curtis Higgs said, her sins weren't listed in detail because they didn't need to be. The world's oldest profession hardly requires a job description. Talk about an unexpected guest. This woman has probably been in a house like this before to provide her special services. But not for a man like Jesus. For a different kind of man, for sinful men. How many of you know that Jesus is a different kind of man? And this woman is evidently a sinful woman by trade and by clear description in verse 37. And she comes, one, understanding that Jesus is present, which sounds like an oxymoron. It's like if, if Jesus is there and I'm that kind of person, he's probably going to be the last person I want to be around, right? right? See, that's a misnomer. And the second thing is she comes aiming not just to see Jesus because he's present, but she comes aiming to bring him a present. In the middle of verse, verse 37, it says, When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, this is quite possibly a bottle of expensive perfume that she used day to day in her line of work. Used on men that used her. But Jesus is a different kind of man. She has now weaved through the attending guests and is now standing directly next to Jesus, or, that, or should I say behind Jesus, verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet. Now, now that you understand the seating arrangement, this makes complete sense, right? That Jesus, that Jesus is lying down, right, on his elbow, and she comes and she's standing behind him at his feet. Makes sense, right? And what is she doing? Anybody? She's weeping. It's a difference. Someone said she's crying. She's weeping. Here we have, here we have to read between the lines without adding to the text. It's a dinner party. And people are talking to each other. Or maybe Jesus is speaking. And you know when Jesus speaks, he kind of commands attention. 
You know what I'm saying? And maybe he's been addressing the room. We don't know. And maybe, just maybe, he has just said something profound as he would that resonates with this woman and it explodes in her heart. And standing over him, she's at his feet, but now her heart is completely enraptured. Standing over him at his feet, she's crying, but she's not just crying, she's weeping. You know, when someone weeps, it's, it's uncontrollable. It's, and she's weeping and tears are running down her face. And at this point, she's probably bowed over because she can't even stand because of the emotion. And as she's, as she's bowed over, maybe even crumpled to the ground, leaning over Jesus, her tears are now falling directly onto Jesus' feet. And because of how close she is, I mean, she's probably on the floor. She definitely is on the floor at this point, on her knees, bent over, tears running down her face. Guess what else is now touching Jesus' feet? Her hair. Her hair. And her hair naturally becomes a towel which, with which she begins now to wipe and dry the tears off of Jesus' feet. Verse 38 goes on and says, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And you know what? I have to say this at this point. <laughs> I know it's going to be semi-graphic. Gives you an opportunity to talk to, the, to talk to your children when you get home about the message. And if I don't contextualize it, you have the opportunity and the time that I don't to do so. But I have to say this at this point. Picture the moment. This is a woman that is used to being in close proximity to a man. She's used to touching a man. She's used to having a man touch her. Now, how many of you know, in this moment, this is pure and this is holy. It's not sexual, it's spiritual. It is intimate, but it's not inappropriate. I mean, Jesus in the text doesn't even touch the woman physically. But how many of you know Jesus is touching this woman spiritually, internally, and powerfully? Jesus is touching this woman in a way that she has never been touched before. Not in her body, but in her heart. And here we have this unusual interruption. A bit like the interruption that we experienced last week, if you are here last week. Last Sunday, literally the service had to be stopped halfway through Pastor Richie preaching. <laughs> well, we have something similar taking place in our text. An unusual, unanticipated interruption from an unexpected guest. Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus, but he didn't expect this, this, this woman to turn up. And Simon's shocked by the, the scandalous, improper, and inappropriate behavior of this woman. In response to all of this, no, he evaluates the woman and categorizes her. And if, it, if that ain't bad enough, he then goes on 
to evaluate Jesus and categorize Jesus. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't evaluate or categorize himself. Notice how quickly he judges others, but not himself. This is a good example of that which typified the Pharisees. That's where we get the term. You know, it's not an old term that was used back in the day. We still use that term today in modern English vernacular. Right? This is... It's, it's a word or a term or a phrase that has come to describe a particular type of individual. If someone calls you a Pharisee, how many of you know they're not paying you a compliment? It's come to mean a person who has very, very high standards for everyone else but themselves. They're quick to judge, quick to point the finger, quick to condemn. They see everyone's sin so clearly but are completely oblivious to their own failings, shortcomings, and sinfulness. You don't believe me? Listen to Simon in verse 39. It says, Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, and notice, he ain't going to say it out loud, you know, because that's how hypocrites function. You know what I'm saying? It's always under their breath or to somebody, you know what I'm saying, on the phone quietly or in, never, in, never going to confront the person very infrequently, publicly. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He evaluates the woman and categorizes her. He evaluates Jesus and then categorizes Jesus. What a thing. See, this is an indicator of the state of Simon's heart. He's blind, he's sinful, his heart is dark. But it's all good. Because <laughs> Jesus is the master of helping the blind to see. Amen. Amen. Watch what Jesus does by telling a simple kindergarten story. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon. <laughs> I mean, Jesus could have said a whole heap of things to him. Jesus says, Simon, I have something that I'd like to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Not knowing that Jesus heard what he said, you know. You've got a mind where you say, you know. Because Jesus hears everything that you say, everything that I say. Lord, help me. Now, this is for everyone in front of the pulpit as well as those who are behind the pulpit. Jesus says, I want to I I I say something. She's like, yeah, Lord, teacher. Yes, teacher. Say it, teacher. My man don't know what's coming, you know. Verse 41, two verses. Verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the, other owed, and the other 50. So one owes 10 times the amount of the other, right? Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, here's the big question. Which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered, the one, um, I suppose, who knows, I've got to pick one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt, Jesus. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. It's amazing to me how, gee, I would be so, you know when you know you're right, you can just, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can be so sarcastic with it. You know what I mean? I would be preening around like a peacock, knowing that I'm right and I'm going to embarrass this brother in public. 
right? But Jesus is not like that. Jesus says, can I ask you a question? Very cordial. I mean, he's in the man's house. And then he says, here's a story. My man responds, and Jesus says, you've judged rightly. You judge rightly. So much, so much about Jesus. It's amazing how Jesus, notice, uses a very simple story to illustrate a very profound truth. By telling a two-sentence story. It's, it's only two verses. The whole, a whole story in two verses, Jesus. Jesus powerfully makes a blind man begin to see. And what does he begin to see? See, this story isn't just about two random men who both owed a debt. A debt that they can't pay. This is about a man and a woman who both owe a debt that they can't pay. This is a story about this woman and Simon. Can you see Jesus comparing the two? See, And Simon's getting it, but he doesn't want to admit it. But he's getting it, right? And can you see how much Simon struggles to accept this astounding news? Struggling, he supposes an answer. In, in verse 43, man said, I supposed you know, I, I, I suppose you know, as the proverbial penny drops. And it's not so much the concept of forgiveness that startles Simon, it's the fact that both men in the story are in debt. One man owes one month salary, the other man owes two years salary. But the point is, <laughs> they're both in debt. And they're both forgiven the debt. The amount is somewhat irrelevant. Jesus isn't pointing out how good Simon is, which is what he's used to hearing as he walks through the town in his robes. And, you know, you could always, you could always see, a priest, see a Pharisee slash priest come in because of the robes that they wore. And you could also smell them because they used to wear that same anointing oil. And everybody would be like, oh my gosh, here comes Pharisee, blah, blah, blah. Here comes, you know, Gamaliel. Here comes... And they'd always be honoured and respected. People would bow to them. And My man ain't used to having people having him up and challenging him and exposing... You know... If you, for an extended, extrapolated period of time, think that you're actually great, you actually begin to believe your own hype. You know that? You know, they said of Elvis Presley, you know, Elvis Presley, I mean, he was a phenomenal musician, singer, guitarist, and so on. My man would come out on stage, and, and like, women would go, they'd, they'd lose their mind. They'd throw their, they, they, they'd literally screaming and bawling, like the woman in this story, she'd lit, screaming and bawling and throwing their underwear at Elvis. And it was one point when Elvis was, I don't know, you know what I mean, when he was young and good looking. But 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, especially after, after a while, body begins to break down, don't look so good. Apparently, Elvis looked in the, in the mirror one day, and Elvis, it says, they say, Elvis looked in the mirror and Elvis Presley realized that he wasn't Elvis Presley. He wasn't the Elvis Presley that everybody thought he was. And Elvis Presley stopped being Elvis Presley. And here come the drugs, here comes the alcohol and the premature death. And sadly, did you know Elvis Presley's dad was a Baptist preacher? Now, how I got onto that? How did I get onto that? Um, 
often thank you. Simon for years has been believing he's special. And I mean, and he's in a category above everyone else, especially a woman like this. See, Jesus isn't pointing out how good Simon is, which is what he's used to. Jesus is pointing out how bad he is. If there were two categories of people, good and bad, righteous and sinful, guess which category? It's not, I should say, it's not, it's not hard to figure out what category the, the woman falls into. But, how many, but, but, but if you begin to draw the lines, which category would Simon fall into? He'd fall into the same category, albeit maybe his sins may not be as, as, as explicit and as consistent and persistent and visual and visible as this woman's. You know, if you take a test and the pass mark is 100%, you know what I mean? I get, I get 40% and I don't pass. Harry could get 95%. Harry could get 99.9%. How I many of you know, if, if you don't get 100% in the test, you failed. If 100% is the pass mark. So can you see how Jesus very cleverly, very powerfully shows my man brethren? Like, brother, you, like, you see what you said under your breath? I'm trying to show you, Simon, that you're, you're no better than this lady if we draw the right lines. See, it's not so much the concept of forgiveness that startles Simon. He understands forgiveness. It's the fact that both of the individuals in the story are in debt. One man owes one month's salary. The other owes two years' salary. They're both forgiven the debt. The amount is irrelevant See, you and this woman, Simon, are in the same batch. Not everybody sins to the same degree, but everybody sins is the point. Romans 3, I think one of my slides, um, says, <clears throat> what then? What then? Are we Jews any better off? And the text of Romans is comparing them to the Gentiles. Because the Jews feel like they're special. You know what I mean? And <laughs> Paul's whole thing in Romans is trying to help particularly religious people who think that they're better than others to understand that now you're in the same category apart from God's grace and him bringing forgiveness. It says, <clears throat> are then, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, that both prostitutes and Pharisees are under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, just in case you never got it, right? No, not, you'd be like, none. Like, no, not one. Because of the, the benchmark. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God, even the religious. Even those who know their Bibles inside out. Even those who can quote it verbatim. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Remember Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own way. All we like sheep. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside to get, I mean, how many alls are there? 
How many no not ones are there? All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even, is it, I mean, how, I mean, Paul, couldn't you be a little bit clearer? <laughs> not even one. Verse, and drop down to verse 23 of Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All fall short of God's perfect standard. And guess what all means in the Greek? It means all. <laughs> and how many of you know this isn't just an illustration about this woman and Simon. It's about everyone. It's about all of us. All still, 2,000 years later, all still means all. Everybody owes a debt that cannot be paid by the individual. But there is a way to have that debt paid, and it is by putting faith in Jesus. And my time's going. Um, Romans 3, the next slide, please, goes on to say, same chapter, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, which is what the sinner needs, right? The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22, this righteousness is given, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ, note that, to all who believe, because we're going to see it illustrated in a minute. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, prostitute and Pharisee, for all have sinned, black and white, male and female, old and young, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God's perfect standard, and all are justified, wow, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, and that's the difference between Simon and this woman. Both are sinners, but the woman is moved out of one category, the bad category, because of her faith in Jesus. Look at verse 44. Then... Then Simon, now this is beautiful. I remember seeing this when I first became a Christian and I thought, this is interesting. It really caught my eye back then. I, I probably couldn't explain it as, as well as I can now. Um, and I probably, I'm not explaining it as well now as I hopefully will be able to in the future as I'm growing in the Lord myself. Verse 40, 44, it says, and, and then turning, watch this, toward the woman, Jesus says to Simon, so Jesus is looking at this woman, but he's speaking to my man. Jesus is looking probably lovingly at this woman who has probably been mistreated by men all of her life. Jesus looks at her, but he's speaking to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? You see this woman, Simon? And Simon could have said, see her. How could you miss her? Everyone in the party sees her apart from you. Jesus says, do you see this woman? And Simon's honest answer would be no. No, he doesn't, he doesn't see this woman for who she really is. He doesn't see her value. He doesn't see her worth. He doesn't see her dignity. He doesn't see her honesty. Simon saw a prostitute, period. He didn't see her as a person. 
nor had he noticed her acts of worship for what they were. Jesus says, Simon, you're as as blind as a bat. You can't see this woman because you can't see me. This woman sees me, and as a result, she has honored me. So now, I'm going to honor her. The next part of verse 34. Remember, Jesus is looking at her. Can't take his eyes off her. Looking at her lovingly. Imagine how how this woman feels. She's walked in there as an unexpected guest. Everyone else is important in there. She's she's the off-scourings of society. Yet, the the most important person in 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 the space... Is giving her his attention. Imagine how she feels. You know, this woman's life ain't going to be the same again. Jesus said, she honors me. I'm going to honor her. Watch. Verse, verse, the next part of verse 34. Speaking to Simon. Simon, I entered your house, you know. Maybe it's a good thing Jesus not looking at him. Because my man's probably feeling mad embarrassed at this. I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, Simon, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, as is the custom. Come on now. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. This woman sees me. That's why she can truly see herself. This woman sees me, Simon. That's why she can truly, vividly, with clarity, see herself. And the degree to which she responds is an indicator of God's work in her heart. When a person understands how much God has forgiven them, especially in view of how much they have sinned, when, you, when a person understands you deserve judgment because of your actions, yet graciously receive mercy, see, the more you understand that, the greater will be your response, note, to him, as well, to Jesus, as well as to others. And the thing is, Simon, Simon doesn't even seem to be a real bad guy. You know he's not a perfect guy, but he's not a bad guy. I mean, he invited Jesus to his house, offered him a meal. That's a kind gesture. He even suspects that Jesus is a prophet, as we heard him say a moment ago. If this man was a prophet, that must mean he presumed that Jesus was a prophet. He's not thinking all bad of Jesus. He's not that bad a guy, right? Maybe Simon had a little love, but that's not the issue. (laughs) His goodness ain't the issue. It's his badness. He just wasn't aware of his own sin. This woman came very cognizant of her sinfulness. And look at the result of this woman's recognition of her sin in recognition of Jesus and her resultant worship. Look at the outcome of her faith in verse 47. Whoa. Verse 47 says, therefore I tell you, says Jesus. And remember, Jesus is still looking at her, speaking to Simon. He says, therefore, verse 47, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. 
It's amazing how Jesus didn't turn and say to Simon, now, you know what, Simon, I've given you a very clear you know, um, explanation of this woman. Let me give you an explanation of you. He doesn't do that. But he clearly articulates where this woman's at, contrasting her indirectly with Simon. It, it's, it's, it's legendary. It's, it's, imper it's, it's perfect. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, this woman, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. Come in your yard, I never really got no love. She loved much in comparison to you. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, sis, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are, for your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, they're not muttering it to themselves. They're actually speaking among themselves, right? They're a little crew. And they're saying, wait a minute, who is this? Who, like, who even forgives sin? Who is this guy? See, Simon ain't the only one that's blind. Who is this guy? Talk about an unexpected guest. They're look, looking at Jesus thinking, they've been sitting and talking to Jesus all evening. Right, because he was with them, and they didn't recognize who he, who he was. Who is this? They say, See, the unexpected guest isn't this woman who interrupted the proceedings, although she was, and it isn't even Jesus the prophet. Can you see that the ultimate unexpected guest is actually Jesus the Son of God or God the Son? Can you see that the amazing, unexpected guest is God? God is in the room with them. And these guys are sitting, having conversations with God all evening and didn't recognize him. Who is this who even forgives sins? I mean, you'd be like, bro, the answer's on the tip of your tongue. You've actually said it. Because what is the answer to the question? Who is it that can forgive sins? There's only one who can forgive sins. These guests are friends of Simon who probably are religious men who possibly knew their Bible, but they're blind. Simon is a devoutly religious man. He's a Pharisee. Listen, we don't know the levels. This man probably memorized most of the Bible, but he's blind. Blind to God, the unexpected guest. And here you have this woman who probably only heard about the Bible. Maybe never read it, much less memorized it, but she recognizes that she is in the presence of God and as a result, she worships him. Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Jeez, go in peace. And again, it's another, it's not so much what Jesus says to her, it's what Jesus doesn't say to Simon. It's impeccable. God's word is on another level. Now, my time has run out. I said I was going to be 40 minutes. I think I'm 45 now, going up to 50, which is a travesty. Luke chapter 8, I'm going to just briefly mention. Verse 1 says, soon afterwards, I mean, <sighs> I've extrapolated on chapter 7 more than enough. You've done more than enough, Robert. Verse 1 of chapter 8, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God 
And notice who are with him. The 12. And what's the gender of the 12? Bertram, I thought you were going to help me today, brother. <laughs> I saw Bertram Friday night and I said, me and him were wrestling over the fact that we preached too long. And I said, B, man, you've got to help me on Sunday. He said, okay, cool. He says, I'm going to go. That's for the first 10 minutes. And then he, that's the second 20 minutes. Brother just walks in and I'm, <laughs> bruv, no help to me, my brother. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm wrapping up. I'm landing the plane, bruv. Amen. Look, Bertram saying, that, that was the last thing he said. When I go like that, it means, Robert means land the plane. <laughs> bruv, it's actually, it's perfect timing. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so here are the 12 and the 12, what gender are the 12 that I described here? They were men, right? And how many of you know there's been a lot about ladies today? This is a great message for Mother's Day, I think. This is the 12 were with him, verse 2, and also some women who had been, and it's women plural, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, notice, who provided for them out of their means. Luke as an author, regularly highlights the marginalized in first century society. The less able-bodied, um, that which is the more politically correct term for disabled, the, more the less able-bodied for children, um, the poor, Gentiles, non-Jews, and women. And no great surprise, Luke is the only Gentile um, non-Jewish writer in the whole Bible. Yet he writes 25 to 30% of the whole of the New Testament. Interesting. He writes the Gospel of Luke and he also writes the Book of Acts. Amen. You put them both together. In terms of the word count, Luke writes 5,000 words more than Paul. Don't sleep on Luke. And here he is again, twice in our passage, reinforcing this Sinful yet forgiven woman, and now this group of women in chapter 8. We have Jesus at the beginning providing for a forgiven woman, and now forgiven women providing for Jesus. Can you see it? All right, let me wrap this up. Um, imagine coming into contact with Jesus without being changed. This prostitute comes into the presence of Jesus. Life changed forever. Simon comes into contact with Jesus. Is he changed? We don't know. We don't know what goes on to happen with Simon. Wait a minute. You got who was it was it was John. The, it was um, Nicodemus. Who who was the other? Who was the other brother that was with Nicodemus who collected the body of Jesus? Joseph of Arimathea, right. So Simon, I mean, unless, you know, you're a better theologian and scholar than me, so I don't, we don't know what happened to Simon. These, the, like I said, this was written to them, but it's for us. How about you? Have you come in today and somewhat been exposed to Jesus and his true identity, my question to you is, are you going to be changed and affected by that? The Bible says Jesus didn't come for the healthy or for those who think they're healthy. 
He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He came for the sick. And that to call us to repentance. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's powerful. Lord, it's mind transforming. It's life transforming. Lord, I pray that you by your spirit, Lord, would make this story live in our hearts so that we we won't look at this story ever the same again and we would see how it relates to us. Lord, I thank you that in this context that we live, women today enjoy amazing liberty, but that doesn't mean that women are being treated respectfully by others or even by themselves. I thank you for this beautiful picture of how you, as the Lord God, relate to your creation and that women so wonderfully, so beautifully. Lord, I pray that us as men would get insight to how to treat women. But Lord, I pray that women would also understand how it is that they ought to be treated in the sight of God. And beyond that, Lord, more importantly, that you would help us to see you, to see the Lord Jesus, the way this woman saw Jesus, not just as a teacher, not just as a prophet, but as God manifest in the flesh, able to forgive sins as we put our trust and our faith in him. Lord, this woman's never said one word in the text, yet she spoke so powerfully. She spoke so much. And I pray, Lord, that you would have spoken to us today, encouraging and reminding us that you are the only hope for humanity. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.